Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Common Room Podcast. My name is TJ. I'm the co-host, and I have with me CJ. What's up? And uh, if you guys have not already checked out last week's episode, it was a part one um, of interviewing Corey Miller about Mormonism. Today, we're going to start the uh, part two for this. So we have with us today Corey Miller. How you doing, Corey? Hey, guys. Good to be back with you. Good to have you on for a second part, second episode. Uh, so um, we'll just get right into it. The first, I mean, the first part, we talked about your, uh, your conversion, um, you leaving the church. And so today we want to talk more about um, the history, theology, and evangelism relating to Mormonism and how Mormonism differs from uh, how the biblical, um, perspective, biblical God, Jesus, that we would... Um, adhere to. So yeah, I guess just, uh, we'll jump right into it. What are the origins, um, of Mormonism? <laughs> that was a pretty packed question, but talk to us about how Mormonism began. It, it, uh, pivots on the person of Joseph Smith, the founder, president, prophet of Mormonism. He was born in 1805 in, um, uh, the New England area. And he allegedly received a vision depending on whether you buy the first, second, third version of the first vision, which is what they call it, uh, where he saw God or God and uh, the Heavenly Father and Jesus or an angel. Um, we'll just go with the main one. You know, Heavenly Father uh, met with him, and he was out in the forest meeting. Why was he there? Because there were so many different religious revivals happening by the Presbyterians, the Baptists, the Congregationalists, and everyone was trying to get him to join their religion in their tent revival meeting. And he went into the forest to pray, and they say more sincerely than most anyone, he goes there and he prays, and God reveals himself, literally a physical appearance of God. And he says, you're to join none of them, for all of their creeds are abominations, and their their pastors are, are essentially heathens. They've lost the priestly authority to function for God. And so at that point, uh, God was to uh, restore the priestly authority to Joseph Smith that had been missing for, you know, 18 centuries. Um and so it's not a reformation, but a restoration. There was a great apostasy, a great falling away. Even though there were Christian people, the priestly authority to function for God, and many of the great truths of Christianity were lost, but they had been restored to Joseph Smith. And so in 1830 was the publishing of the Book of Mormon, and there's a whole history behind that as well. Yeah, uh, that's that's... So, yes, that is, um, that is, if anyone wants to dive deeper into that, there is, I mean, that was a, that was a great three minute version of, or actually less, uh, version of that because, uh, there are so many, there's uh, a lot to unpack there. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack. So, um, for our listeners, uh, Corey, if they're listening and they have no idea the differences between Christians, uh, evangelicals, and then Mormons, um, w- would you say, um, that Mormons are Christians for our listeners? Well, I guess I would reverse it and say, are Christians Mormons? If all Mormons are Christians, are all Christians Mormons? Mm. They're not identical. Wow. Uh, the question might be, are they a separate denomination? Mm. Well, Mormons wouldn't see themselves as a separate denomination. They would see themselves as the true church mm. and all these different sects as 
apostate fall, falling away movements that have bits and pieces of the truth, but none of them have the whole truth. So do they have certain truths in common? Yeah. Does God exist? Sure. Is Jesus um, the Son of God? Is he God the Son? Um, is he the Messiah? Um, they're going to say yes in certain ways. They're going to define terms differently. Um, is grace necessary for salvation? And things like that. But when they mention some of the same things that we might believe, they're vastly different. And mm. they have a whole set of scriptures in addition to the Bible, which are constituted by their quad, uh, which is the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, the Pearl of Great Price, and the King James Bible, as far as it's translated correctly, which means it's not translated correctly, but it doesn't matter. You have living prophets and apostles, and they have, you know, um, personal and prophetic revelation. So we're good to go. We don't have to worry about that. But yeah, the fundamental differences that make a difference are with their view of God and Jesus and how man gets to heaven. There's a ton of differences, a ton of um, similarities, too. But the ones on the essential doctrines that matter for your soul are who is God, how does man get to heaven, both of which find their segment in the person and work of Christ. Mm -hmm. And in this regard, um, Mormons are a different religion entirely. They're not just a different denomination. The Book of Mormon says it's another testament of Jesus Christ. It is not. It is a testament of another Jesus Christ. It's not the same Jesus. The descriptions of Jesus are not the same. They use the name, but it's not the same. Uh, you and I may both have a mom, and we may spell it the same way, frontwards and backwards. But once we start describing that mom, we can quickly see that's not the same mom. Your mom is not my mom. Mm, that's a good Their view of salvation isn't the same. Uh, it's completely opposed to what we, what we mean by grace, what separates biblical Christianity from every other religion, including... Uh, those under the banner of Christendom, like Mormonism, is grace, and Mormons do not have a robust concept of that. Um, and then their view of God is not just that they deny the Trinity as three persons who are the one God, but they believe that God is just one amongst an in infinite number of gods, and you and I can likewise become a god. Mm. Yeah, it's like uh, James White and Jeff Durbin when— uh when they're talking about Mormonism, so I would say you have to define you have to define your terms because, especially uh, I know for my sake uh, or like when in my experience when I was first learning I was like oh they they um, they say salvation or they say Jesus um, or like sons of God um, like we're we're using the same language but um, <laughs> you can find out very quickly when you're having a conversation with a Mormon um, that something's off like we're saying the same words but we're not we're not arriving to the same place because yep. our definitions are different so it's very important um yeah like you said there's uh they are not talking about the same jesus uh so that right. you kind of answered the next question a little bit but um i'll have you uh, answer it anyways <laughs> again uh it was do you think mormons um would go to heaven after they die if they were uh, if they stayed um, in their Mormon theology and were to pass away, do you think they would go to heaven? God is ultimately the judge over individual souls. Mm. Yep. And I won't pretend to make a claim on whether or not each and every Mormon does or does not go to heaven. That's fair. I've run into Mormons who have believed grace, no thanks to Mormonism. Mm. Uh, and ironically, rarely, 
some that have even affirmed the Trinity, usually converts to Mormonism, um, but no thanks to what Mormonism teaches. So the question is, is does the average Mormon mm-hmm. accept Jesus as the Son of God, God the Son, the eternal second person of the Trinity? Do they accept that um, God came in Christ reconciling the world to himself and his finished words on the cross or finished work on the cross designated by his last words it is finished do they trust that and so they know for a fact that if they die right now they would go be with heavenly father for eternity the answer is no Mm -hmm. and the reason why is because they don't trust 100 percent in the grace of god in the work that christ did on the cross it's jesus plus me Mm. they don't know what percentage that is but it's always jesus plus me um and that's where they're at with that uh the job to be done in in this life is perfection um and it's got to be done by this lifetime or else is what true mormonism believes and that's what confused me so badly as a child I knew that you had to be perfect before, um, you know, if you're going to go to celestial glory. At the same time, I believed what popular Mormonism said, and that is try, try your best, and God will make up the rest. Those things are in contradiction, and the average Mormon senses the tension between that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would not say that Mormonism is Christian. I would say that if Mormons trust in the Mormon concept of God and Christ, and salvation, they're not going to heaven because of what Scripture says. Yeah, that's 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 great. So, leading to our next question about um, kind of like I, you could based under a theology of Mormonism, what why um, do Mormons uh, seem to be like a, a better at evangelism um, than say even evangelicals? Well, they're. They certainly have designated a youthful vocation of it. They've got, mm-hmm. you know, between full and part-time missionaries, about 100,000, quite a bit. Um, that was not always the part, of, you know, part of the history of the Mormon Church, um, but it's become part of their culture now. And if you're going to be an active Mormon, a Molly Mormon, um, a serious Mormon, you're going to go likely on a mission. And um, it makes a difference in your social standing, really. Why didn't you go on a mission? Why didn't you serve? How committed are you? But in terms of their effectiveness, that's a, that's a question to ask about you know, results. But mm. let's face it, those other groups that emerged around the same time Mormonism did, and in the same neighborhood, like Christian Science and Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, up in the what we would call the burned-out district during all the revivals and so forth that was really going after people's emotions, uh, which is fitting for Mormonism, by the way. Um, the if you, if you think about what, what it looks like, just the optics, when a Jehovah's Witness comes to your door, they're often dressed in dark clothing. Their kingdom halls usually don't have windows. And you're thinking, there's something shady here, and their, their messaging is always negative, gloom and doom, right? Mm-hmm. The Mormon, by contrast, comes to you, you know, looking like this all-American boy with a great haircut, suit and tie, uh, help you mow your lawn or shovel your snow, uh, just a very nice person, great citizens. I mean, 2% of 
you know, the population in the U.S. is Mormon, but 6% of the U.S. Senate is Mormon. Wow. These are a very uh, affluent and influential people, and they are all Americans, so to speak. Uh, so they, they blend in very, very well. And when you look in the Garden of Eden um, and this temptation that comes along with this little nature snake, it's not dressed up as a devil with a pitchfork and long pointy tail and big horns as Hollywood depicts it. No, it's a little chameleon. It's a little nature snake. It blends in with society. Mm-hmm. Mormonism used to not say we're Christians. They would say we're not. Um, but over the last 50 years, they've now been trying to mainstream and, and make it seem like they are until they get into the more meaty time with you for the conversion. And then they make it clear that historical Christianity is, is bankrupt. Wow. I know, uh, I know that my experience with, uh, meeting the Mormons that CJ and I've met on, uh, the college campus nearby, I know it's like, <laughs> it's it has rocked my world how how persistent they are because they have specific. I mean, they're uh, the two. I mean, they get switched out pretty often, but the original two that we met, their their right. main focus was uh, the university in our mm-hmm. town, yeah. uh, in our city, and and um, and it like rocked my world because I'm like, oh my gosh, these guys literally every day are out here doing this, serving hot cocoa when it's cold, or uh, inviting people yeah. to the ward. And CJ and I have gone to their. Uh, their game nights yeah, on Saturdays, multiple times. multiple times to go hang out, and it's it's like broken my heart because um, uh, I met some other people there that were that came because they were invited, just like I was, and um, some of them were like, "Yeah, so and so here, she's gonna start um, checking out her church, right?" And then and it was the way they uh, <laughs> posed the question was like, "You're coming, right?" And she was like, "Yeah, I guess I'll come try it, check it out." And in my heart, I'm just like, "Oh my gosh, like." I don't know what yeah. this girl is, but man, it just—it's like, what am I doing? Yeah. I am—I yeah. am not even close to, uh, like, I know this is wrong, um, but like, what am I doing? And so, man, yeah, and they come across so passionate. They're relational. They're community-driven. I mean, families are forever. Uh, so when it comes to you know raising families, that—that's part of the attraction to Mormonism too—is that family orientation. Uh, many people become Mormon over that. And so that's, a, I think, something that is attractive uh, in their methods of, of converting people. Yeah. So, Corey, kind of shifting um, gears towards uh, maybe some practical things. Um, mm-hmm. And then, um, so if someone's listening and um, they're uh, they're engaging with Mormons or they want to start engaging with Mormons, um, what would be the best way to approach them um, in general and then maybe even with the gospel? So um, the two ways not to approach them would be what I call the bash and the dash approach. The bash approach being find the biggest Bible you can and knock them over the head theologically, right? Um, win the argument and you think you win the war, but that's not always the case. That's good. The dash approach is you see them coming up to your door and you hurry and don the blinds and uh, pretend you're not home or <laughs> quickly open the door and say, I have my religion. Thank you. You're a cult. Bye. Mm. And, you know, close the door. Um, no, they're not going away. They're very successful. They're influential. And um, these are people for whom God loves and sent his son into the world to die mm. for. And so we should care for them, care enough to, you know, proclaim the gospel. Uh, I would say you you be, become an activist. You try to reach these people. Um, if you have God's heart for people, then you would naturally 
share God's heart for the lost. And you take uh, an essentialist approach on matters of truth. Don't get caught up in peripheral issues. You know, what about Coca-Cola? What about the funny underwear, the signs on the Mormon temple? No, who is God? Um, who is Christ? How does man get to heaven? Both of which find their segue in the personal work of Christ. Mm. Um, Socratic evangelism, that means asking thought-provoking questions like Socrates and um, trying to, um, you know, get them to own uh, part of the answers in their conversation, you know, needing to remember that most of these people, if they're over the age of, you know, say 20, they've probably gone on a two-year mission. Mm -hmm. And they're used to being in the situation as being a teacher. So um, you've got to ask thought-provoking questions. Um, and then finally, you got to be able to speak Mormonese. Um, that is the language of feelings. When Mormons come across, they always try to bear their testimony to you. And if they do it enough times and with enough tenacity, somehow they think that translates to veracity or truth, Right. And for many people, they do think that they they they're just they're, they're they're confused. What do I do with this? These guys are so passionate, so confident that they know that they know that they know. And that's what they're trained to do. Mm. And if you tell yourself a lie a thousand times, you end up believing it. And they, they have to bear testimonies at testimony meeting nights regularly. Otherwise, they fail to, you know, merit points in heaven, uh, failing to bear testimony at testimony meetings. But they're so good at that um, emotive uh, expression of their knowledge of the truth. Uh, but if you push them, you know, two, past two inches deep on these issues of who is God, how does man get to heaven, both of which find their segue in the personal work of Christ, they start to malfunction. They're not prepared for that kind of a thing. They've got their five missionary discussions found in Preach My Gospel that they typically use now. And you've just got to be prepared for that. So truth, come across as a truth seeker on the essentials, ask good questions, uh, be cognizant that they are feelings people. And so when you come to bear testimony to them and use the scriptures, uh, bear testimony with equally as, as much passion. There's so much more to be said here. And I would say uh, point readers or listeners to my books, uh, because there's a whole process that I like to use going through the scriptures. Uh, even sometimes they're Mormon scriptures to get them to see the differences that make a difference. That is really good. Very good. Um, oh man, yeah, that's so good. Um, so someone who's listening who who maybe is thinking, um, like they they tell me they read the scripture every day. <laughs> um, what what uh, I guess reading materials do they read other than? Um, the Bible, which I feel like it's so hard for me to uh, give them the benefit of the doubt when they say they read scripture to me. Um, but what, what's the reading materials and, and why why would you say that they are wrong and not part of the 66 canon? Well, I mean, they have, you know, they have uh, church manuals, they have church magazines like, you know, the Ensign magazine and so forth. And then they have their, their scriptures, what they would call the canon, but it's not a closed canon. Mm. Right. Um, we would say it's a closed canon, 66 books. And of course, they add to that and then they get the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine of Covenants, Pearl of Great Price, and they have open revelation. So uh, at the general conference, a prophet may stand up and he may give us what would be revelation. Um, so they have an, an open 
canon, so to speak, uh, at least in, in principle, even beyond the books they already have. Yeah, um, and so what was your question on that in particular? What Did I answer that? Yeah, I was just I was just trying to think for like an average like a person who may not know much. Um, okay. Uh, just thinking through the books that they read. So the book, like you mentioned, the Pearl of Great Price, um, the Book of Mormon. Yeah. Um, is there is there like maybe um, like something that somebody could uh, go to? Like so, from our perspective, we're talking to a Mormon. Is there somewhere that you would take them in their own book to? Um, that you would use against them in the sense of like bringing them back to truth in the closed canon? Well, you know, people have, um, you know, their kind of favorite approaches to witnessing to Mormons. There is a, a good book. I have a chapter in that you could go to sharing the good news with Mormons, mm. practical strategies for getting the conversation started. And you can see other people's, uh, one of the strategies I like, and I, I show it in uh, both of my current books, and um, use part of it in that one as well. Uh, I like to uh, talk about the testimony, um, but that's going to be longer than probably you have time here, as well as the concept of salvation. And in the same way that the Apostle Paul said that the law is the schoolmaster to lead men to Christ, mm -hmm. there's a, a reason one of the purposes of the law is to function like a mirror to show us our sin. And when we have our knowledge of sin, that sin is utterly sinful, grace becomes utterly graceful. And that's the my story of how I got saved. I was told about hell. I was told I was a sinner. I was demonstrated. I knew it. It resonated with me. Only then did I see the need for grace. And so oftentimes, because their scriptures actually are quite like pharisaicalism in one sense, that's what religion is, I take them through the Book of Mormon, and I, I outline this in, in both of my books, um, a certain pathway you can take Mormons through, they'll bring you a Book of Mormon so you can have one and, um, you know, mark up the pages. And I help them to see in the Book of Mormon through asking them questions, right? I'm not teaching them. They're supposed to be teaching me, but I'm asking them questions about my readings that they're guiding me through. And I'm helping them to see what the job is to be done to get my sins forgiven according to Mormonism, according to the most correct book ever, the Book of Mormon. And then by when does that job need to be done? And in the Book of Mormon is in the Book of Mormon, it's perfection and by this lifetime. That is not mission uh, that's not that's mission impossible. That's not good news. That's what opens the door then for grace and for me to share the gospel in scripture and also for me to talk about the testimony of scripture of how you can have assurance of eternal life by trusting a hundred percent in Christ. Yeah. Man, that's that's good. That's uh, really thank good. you for that. Um, so, just a last question. It might kind of be a longer question for you, um, but if um, you know, for our listeners, and then if if a Mormon is listening, um, what what would you say is just the most important thing, the most important differences um, you to have them read or something like that? You mean I would have what I would have a Mormon read? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess oh, the, I mean, yeah. I was, yeah, or either got one. It does. It, yeah, either way, it doesn't. I mean, I mean, there's a book called The Miracle of Forgiveness. I, I mentioned that in my process too by Spencer W. Kimball, one of their prophets. He was an apostle for 20 years, a prophet for 10 years, um, and he wrote, you know, one big book that uh, was his magnum opus, his, his legacy as a, an apostle prophet. Um, and it had to do with an essential issue, how to get to heaven, called the miracle of forgiveness. 
And in that book, he tells you exactly what I'm talking about. There is no popular Mormonism, try, try your best, and God will make up the rest. It is true Mormonism, what the Book of Mormon teaches. You've got to become perfect by this lifetime or else. Uh, so I, I encourage Mormons to do that. One time I at Purdue University here with a fellow grad student who was Mormon, uh, I asked him if he would read through that book with me and through the Book of Mormon. Um, I would do that for him. And would he read through the Book of Romans with me? <laughs> so both, in a sense, were on my side. It was going down the direction I wanted to go. But um, yeah, Romans, Galatians, on the law and grace. Uh, if you wanted to go to book he- books heavy on the deity of Christ, the Gospel of John, starting at John 1, 1 and so forth. Um, and in 1 John 5, 9 through 13, the best place in the entire Bible to talk about the testimony, because Authority is everything to Mormons, and the testimony, the burning in the bosom, the feeling, that's where the buck stopper is for the average Mormon. So learning how to speak Mormonese, the testimony, the testimony, and that passage talks about the testimony, and the testimony is if you have the Son, you have uh, salvation, you have eternal life. If you don't have that, you don't have eternal life, Mm. and it's completely based on what Christ did. And I challenged the Mormon missionary at that time, do you have that testimony, or is your testimony a different testimony than that one? That's good. That's, that's it made me, um, kind of like what you were saying a little bit, it made me think that my last, um, my last, uh, I guess, in-depth, well, I guess most memorable encounter with a Mormon for me, um, I was at our university, and uh, I saw, I saw him, um, talking to someone. And so I walked up and I've only ever seen him. Uh, well, I got breakfast with him one time and, uh, went to game nights and seen him, but the, this time I saw him in action, like trying to do his evangelism. So I stood up next to him. I was like, Hey man, he's like, Oh, Hey. And I was like, Hey, I just want to watch you. I just want to watch you. And he's like, okay. And so <laughs> I just kind of stood there awkwardly and, and listened to him. But he was talking to an atheist, uh, a girl who, who I guess used to go to their church. Um, cause they knew each other. And, um, she is out loud self-proclaimed that she was an atheist now. And so she, I watched her ask him, um, she's like, Hey, like, um, I know I don't go to the church anymore and my family kind of moved and stuff, but like, am I still going to heaven? Like she straight up asked him, like, am I, am I still, am I okay still? And he, and I, I turned to him and looked cause I was like, Oh man, what's he going to say? And he looked her in the eyes and he said to her, you know what? you're a pretty good person. And like, I know you and like, I've, I've like, you know, we grew up together a little bit and you're a pretty good person. So you know what? Like you're, you're going to, you're going to be okay. You'll make it. She's like, Oh, and she like took a breath, like a sigh of like, Oh man, that's, that's good news. She's like, well, thanks. And, um, and I was trying to like sneak away. Cause in my mind, I'm like, I got to talk to her. I got to talk to her after this. Yeah. And, um, he, I asked him earlier in that conversation, like, cause there was one of his buddies who he used to evangelize with or quote unquote evangelize, um, or uh, do his mission. I don't know what their terminology is, do missions with, um, was there somewhere. So he was trying to help me find him. So I was like, Oh, I'm going to go to the bathroom really quick and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll meet up with you and in my mind. I'm thinking like, I'm just going to wait till he leaves. And he's like, oh, I'll wait for you then. And I was like, okay, let's just go right now. And in my mind, I'm like, I got to run back and find her. And I was so heartbroken because when I ran back to go find her, she was gone. And I was like, oh man, she literally, uh, like she is, she has gone off into the world thinking that she is fine Mm. and making it into heaven, living her life however she's living it. And uh, that just broke my heart because there was no message of the gospel, no message of Jesus, no message of you need grace, you're a sinner. It was, you've been a pretty good person 
And so I think you're going to make it. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that is not good news. <laughs> There's no message. Yeah, I mean, that, that is the epitome of religion, right? Uh, in the Garden of Eden, you find it. Um, Adam and Eve hid, embarrassed, shamed from some internal corruption that had happened. They weren't quite sure what it was. But what did they do? They went and put fig leaves on to try to cover up out externally what was an internal problem. And then God later says to them, your fig leaves are not good enough. And he gave them fur coats. Where did he get the fur? From an animal sacrifice, blood, uh, representing the utter depravity of our sin and the need for God's complete atonement or covering, Yom Kippur, the covering. Mm. And so today, in any religion, more Muslim and Islam as well. Uh, it's always something I have to bring to the table. Uh, and there is no answer forthcoming of how much that is. Is it 72.8% righteousness? Is it 95.6%? And the answer someone gives, like that gentleman you just mentioned, he says, oh, you'll be fine. Well, how does he know? Yeah. Is, is the criteria, is the standard 97.2% and he knows that she's made it? See, the only way you can know for certainty is if the job has already been done. Yep. And there are two kinds of religion. There's the done and the doing. For the done, it's over, and it's just a matter of trust and proper response. Mm. For the doing, they're still trying, and you better get working. Otherwise, it's purgatory for you, baby, or spirit prison, or uh, another cycle of life until you reach you know, nirvana or moksha. Oh, man, yeah. Well, um, Corey, uh, we uh, are just so thankful um, that you took the time out of your schedule to do these uh, two interviews for us. Um, they have been uh, very encouraging, um, very much what, what we needed. Um, yes. I'm sure our listeners um, will find it very helpful, um, maybe even uh, stir some some minds into some Mormon evangelism. So, And, um, and for those listening, make sure you go, oh, what were you going to say? I said, amen. amen. Uh, for those listening, make sure to go uh, check out Corey's uh, website. Um, uh, I, my brain wants to pronounce it ratio, but you were pronouncing it. Yeah. So ratio. Yeah, ratio Ratio Christie.org. Ratio Christie.org. That's R-A-T-I-O-C-H-R-I-S-T-I.org. So check out his website. He's also got some books that we're going to be giving away on our Instagram. And if you're not, if our listeners, if you're not listening or if you're not following <laughs> our Instagram, uh, common room convos and our Facebook, uh, you don't want to miss out on our book giveaways to get Corey's book. Um, but yeah, thank you so much, Corey, for joining us. Uh, we are very appreciate, appreciative of you coming on. And, um, I know I've been encouraged and it has rekindled my fire to want to reach out to, uh, our Mormon friends and try to, Absolutely. um, re rekindle our relationships with them to, uh, share the gospel with them, the true Jesus. Yep. Amen. Amen. Please do. And thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for what you guys doing. Yes. So tune in everyone next week for our next episode. Um, and thank you for listening to another episode of the common room podcast.